This morning we're picking up in Philippians chapter 1. We left off there a couple weeks ago. We're picking back up in Philippians chapter 1. The title of the sermon this morning is Finding Joy in the Lord's Work. Maria Dyer was a woman who knew sacrifice. She was a woman who knew what it meant to serve the Lord with great joy. You may have never heard of Maria Dyer, but you've probably heard of her husband, Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was the famous missionary to China in the late 1800s. Maria was born in China where her parents served as missionaries. But both of her parents died on the mission field when she was a young girl. In fact, before she reached the age of 10, both of her parents were killed on the mission field. She was sent back to England, where her parents were originally from, to be raised by an uncle. But she never lost the desire to proclaim Christ to others. In fact, at the age of 16, she then returned to China, where she was born. She returned to China to serve as a missionary, where she eventually met Hudson, her husband, married him, and the two then founded the China Inland Mission. Together, the two of them had nine children, but three of them died at birth, and two of them died in childhood. You could say life was not easy for the Taylors. They often received criticism from the world. And they received criticism from other Christians for their service as missionaries in China. Maria wrote about it saying this, as to the harsh judgings of the world or the more painful misunderstandings of Christian brethren I generally feel that the best plan is to go on with our work and leave God to vindicate vindicate our cause. After a life devoted to missionary work for China Inland Mission, Maria died of cholera at the age of 43. Although life was hard for Maria, her love for Christ and her sacrificial devotion to Him was worth it. It was worth it. After her death, she was buried in China. And on her grave, these words were inscribed. For her to live was Christ, and to die was gain. Where did she learn this sacrificial devotion to Christ from? She learned it from the Apostle Paul. Who said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we saw that last time as we saw how Paul was able to rejoice 
to rejoice in the midst of his difficult circumstances because he knew that Christ would be exalted in him. His life was completely devoted to Christ. And because it was devoted to Christ, it was also devoted to Christ's work as he served Christ's church. Which is what we're going to see here this morning in our passage. If you haven't already, I would encourage you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 and follow along as I read our passage for us. And I'll begin in verse 21. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. Paul says this, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this would, will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Now, as we saw last time, Paul was able to rejoice in the midst of his difficult circumstances because of what he knew to be true. What he knew to be true. And there were three things that Paul knew to be true. First, he knew that God would deliver him. He knew that. He knew that God was going to deliver him, whether it was by allowing him to live and continue to live on in, in the flesh, or whether God was going to take his life, he knew that God was going to deliver him from the circumstances that he was in. Second, he knew that he would not be put to shame. Being in prison in Rome was a shameful thing. And he says in verse 20 that I will not be put to shame in anything. His life was lived in complete devotion to Christ and suffering for Christ was nothing to be ashamed of. He was in prison for Christ, for his proclamation of Christ. And he was not going to be ashamed of it. Third, Paul also knew that Christ would be exalted in his body, whether by life or by death. He knew that if he lived his life in complete devotion to Christ, then Christ would be exalted in him. And it was this that brought Paul great joy. It brought him great joy. But he also rejoiced in his difficult circumstances because, not only because of what he knew to be true, but because of who he knew. Because of who he knew. He knew Christ. And it was all that mattered. Christ was his Lord. Christ was his Savior. That was all that mattered in Paul's life. He knew Christ. Christ was everything to Paul. And knowing Christ brought him great joy. That's why Paul was able to say back up in verse 18, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. That's future tense. I will rejoice. I will continue to rejoice because I know Christ. 
So knowing the truths of scriptures and knowing Christ as his Lord brought him great joy. And his relationship with Christ was so intimate that his desire was to be with Christ. And that's what every true believer desires, right? We desire to be with Christ. I can't tell you how many times, especially over the last few years, how many times I have heard people say, come Lord Jesus. (laughs) Why do we say that as believers? Because we want to be with Him. Come Lord Jesus, rapture us out of here. We want to be with You. That's the desire of every true believer's heart, is to be with Christ. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our Master. He's our King. And we want to be with Him. But, we also know that there is work to be done here on earth. Right? There is work for us to do here on this planet. We know that the gospel needs to go forth and that the lost need to hear it and be saved. And so there's this tension in our lives. There's a tension there. We want Christ to come. We want to be with Christ. But we also want to go and do Christ's work so that the lost will hear the message of salvation and be saved. That's the tension. We want our family members and our friends to be saved. We want to do the Lord's work here on earth because we know that we were saved for good works. We were not saved by good works, but we were saved for good works. In fact, right after Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that we are saved by grace through faith, he says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We've been saved, not by good works, but we have been saved for good works. That we would do good works in our lives. We love Christ. We're devoted to Him, and we want to be with Him. But we also know that we've been saved to do His work here on earth. And so there lies the tension There are advantages to staying on earth and serving the Lord, but departing and going to be with Christ has far greater advantages. And that then creates the tension. Paul had that tension in his life as well. And so we're going to look at Paul's heart this morning, and we're going to see this tension as Paul has a joyful heart for Christ to go and to be with Him. But he also has a joyful heart to stay on earth and to serve Christ's church. And so we're going to break our passage into two points here. First, we're going to see Paul's inward dilemma in verses 22 through 24. And then second, we're going to see Paul's outward devotion in verses 25 and 26. So let's begin here this morning with our first point, Paul's inward dilemma. Now, as we look at this, we must remember the context in which Paul is writing. In fact, look at the end of verse 20. 
Notice what he says there at the end of verse 20. He says, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And so for Paul, the aim of his life was to exalt Christ. It was to exalt Christ. As we said, his life was all about Christ, living for Christ. And his desire for Christ was to be exalted in his body. What does it mean? What is he talking about there? Well, he's saying with this physical being, who he is as a physical man. He wanted his life, his body to be used to exalt Christ. However that was going to work out, whatever that looked like in his life, if his body was to be used to exalt Christ, that's all that mattered. Whether it was by him living or whether it was by him dying for Christ. As long as Christ is exalted in his life, that's what mattered most. Whether he's living or whether he becomes a martyr and dies for Christ, all he wants is for Christ to be exalted because Christ was everything to Paul. If he lives, he lives for Christ. If he dies, well, that's gain. It only gets better, right? It's gain for him because he gets to go and be with Christ. But either way, either way, what Paul is saying is he has Christ. He has Christ if he dies and goes to be with him and he has Christ if he lives and continues to serve him. He is Christ. And this then creates a dilemma for Paul. It creates tension for him. In fact, look at what he says in verse 22. He says, but if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. But I do not know which to choose. Now, he's already told us back in verse 21 about dying, right? He says that if he were to die, well, that's gain. And now in verse 22, he's telling us, telling us here about living and about living in the flesh. And that's the dilemma. There lies the tension. Paul knows that to die is gain because dying means he gets to go and be with Christ. But living on in the flesh means fruitful labor. And Paul doesn't know which one to choose. Which one do I choose? Now notice what Paul says there about living. He says, living on in the flesh. What does Paul mean by being able to live on in the flesh? Oftentimes we think about living in the flesh in the context of Galatians chapter 5. That is, if we are living in the flesh, we are living in sin. If we're living according to the flesh, the desires of the flesh, we're going to be led into sin. Carrying out the desires of the flesh in Galatians 5 means that we are living in sin. But that is not what Paul is talking about here. Living on in the flesh here simply means just living in the body. Living in his body. Continuing to live on this earth. Not dying, but living. And Paul says that if he was to continue to live on in this flesh, then what will be the outcome of that? Notice what he says there. He says, fruitful labor. Fruitful labor for me. 
Now, what is this fruitful labor? What does Paul mean when he says fruitful labor? Well, what's interesting is that we have already seen this word fruit in Philippians chapter 1. We've already seen this word. In fact, look back at verse 11 with me. Notice what he says there in verse 11. He says, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, notice how this fruit is described here. He says it's the fruit of what? Righteousness. It's the fruit of righteousness. But notice how this fruit is produced. How is this fruit produced in his life? He says, it comes through Jesus Christ. Notice Paul is not saying that the fruit that he produces is because of his brilliance. It's not because of his impressive speech or because of his hard work. Although he was a a brilliant man, Although he did work really hard for Christ, he says, it's not because of any of that. No, this fruit is produced by Christ in his life. It's through Jesus Christ. And so, over in verse 22, Paul has the same thing in mind there. It's the same thing. Although he says, fruitful labor for me, he is not saying that this fruitful labor is produced by me. That's not what he's saying because he's already told us back in verse 11 that that fruit is produced through Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here is that he's just a vessel. He's just a vessel through which Christ is going to do his work. Remember how Paul saw himself. How does Paul often open his letters? He says, Paul. And what does he say after that? A slave of Christ Jesus. That's how he saw himself. He was a slave. He was a humble man. He was a a servant. And his desire was to serve Christ as he served Christ's people. He knew that any fruit that was produced through his efforts was not the result of Paul. It wasn't because of Paul, but it was because of Christ who was working through Paul. And he knows that if he gets out of prison and continues to work, then Christ is going to do his work through Paul's life. And that's what he desires. That's what he wants to see in his life. And so there's this dilemma. If I die, I get to go and be with Christ. But if I stay here, I get to work for Christ. And Christ gets to work through me. And I'll get to see this fruitful labor. The fruit that Christ is going to produce through the work, the efforts that I do here on earth. Notice what Paul says at the end of verse 22. He says, I do not know which to choose. Which one do I choose? In fact, he explains to us his heart in this inward dilemma that's going on, and he moves from living then to dying. Look at verse 23. 
Notice what he says there where he tells us, but I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Paul here is now speaking about dying. Paul says that he's, that he's hard pressed. That word in the Greek has the idea of feeling pressure from two different sides as they, each one, are exerting their force. It has the idea of being squeezed. It's like being put in the middle of a vice and somebody's just cranking down on that vice as that vice squeezes and squeezes and squeezes. Paul says, that's what's going on in my life. That's what's going on in my heart. He's being squeezed by his desire to depart and be with Christ. And his love for Christ's church. Knowing that if he stays, he will be able to serve them and build them up. Do you see here where Paul's heart is? Do you see that? He loves Christ and he wants to be with Christ. But because he loves Christ, he also loves Christ's church. And he wants to be used by Christ to encourage and strengthen the church. But he has this great desire to depart and be with Christ. You see, Paul knows that there is great joy in death. There's great joy in death. Why? Because he knows that as a believer, that the moment that he closes his eyes is the moment that he opens his eyes to see his Savior face to face. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And he says, if, if I'm going to die as a martyr... Praise the Lord. <laughs> that brings me great joy. Because I'll depart and go and be with my Lord and Savior. I'll get to see Him face to face. One commentator says, The momentary event of death opens to an eternal, ongoing experience with Christ. And the thought of dying and being with Christ brings Paul great joy. Which puts a, a strong desire in his heart for this to happen. And he knows how marvelous this event is. To die. Think about how many people are afraid of dying. A great fear of death. For believers, we should have no fear of death. Because the moment that we die is the moment that we see Christ face to face. And what greater joy is there in life than that? Paul has no fear of death. In fact, he desires to die and be with Christ. Notice what he says that Going to be with Christ is not just a good thing. Going to be with Christ is not just a great thing. But notice what he says at the end of verse 23. He says, it is very much better. To die and be with Christ is very much better. Commentators call this a double comparative. 
a double comparative. He's just piling up these descriptive words to show how amazing being with Christ will be. It won't just be a good thing or a great thing, but he says it will be very much better to die and be with Christ. Or literally there, much more better. Much more better than staying here on this earth and living. And we would all agree with this, right? That to die and to go and be with Christ is much more better than living here on this earth. We understand Paul's dilemma. We understand that tension and what's going on. That's why we say, come Lord Jesus, we want to be with you. Because we know it is very much better, much more better to be with Christ than to be anywhere else. And this is Paul's personal desire to die and have gain, to die and have indescribable eternal joy, to die and be with Christ. But notice what he says in verse 24. Look at what he says there. He says, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Now he moves from dying to living. It's like a mind shift here. Where he talks about dying and going to be with Christ. And now he, he shifts over now to living. But if I live on, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. He takes his personal desire, listen to this church, he takes his personal desire to go and be with Christ and he sets that aside and now he looks out to the church and he looks to others and he says, but it's more necessary for me to be here with you. This man loved the church. He loved God's people. And why does he love the church? Because he loves the head of the church. Because he knows Christ's heart for Christ's church. And he says, I want that same heart. I have that same passion. I have that same desire. He loves the church. Notice what he says there for for me to continue to live here on this earth is more necessary. And we would ask, more necessary than what, Paul? More necessary than what? Well, more necessary than that which is very much better. It is more necessary than his departing and going to be with Christ. It is more necessary for him to live on on this earth so that he might build up Christ's church. So that Christ would use him as a vessel to encourage and strengthen Christ's church. Listen, Paul was a selfless man. He was a selfless man with a humble servant's heart. He was a servant of Christ. And what Paul is saying here is that he is willing to postpone heaven for the sake of serving the believers on earth. He's willing to postpone heaven 
How many of us would be willing to postpone heaven to serve God's people? That was Paul's heart. That was Paul's passion. Notice he says it's, it's more necessary for your sake. For your sake. For you Philippian believers. For the church of Christ. It's more necessary for you. This is a man who had a servant's heart. And where did he get this servant's heart from? From his Savior. From Christ. Who said in Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? To serve. To serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul learned this from Christ. Paul learned to do the Lord's work from the Lord himself. He knew Christ. And he knew Christ's heart for Christ's church. And Paul laid down his own life to serve the church that he loved. And he loved the church because he knew how much Christ loves his church. Friend, do you love Christ's church? Do you love the people of God? Are you willing to serve and to give of yourself for Christ's church? For your brothers and sisters in Christ? For those that are sitting around you this morning, are you willing to lay down your own life to serve them? If you love Christ, you should love His church. That was Paul's heart. And that should be our heart as well. And so that was the inward dilemma of Paul. To die and be with Christ, which was which was a great desire, or to live on earth and continue to serve Christ's church. That was his inward dilemma. Let's now look at Paul's response to this, which leads to our second point this morning, Paul's outward devotion. Paul's outward devotion. Because of Paul's inward desire for Christ, he had an outward devotion to serve Christ's church. Look at verse 25. Look at what he says there. Convinced of this. Stop right there. Convinced of this. Convinced of what, Paul? Convinced of the fact that he needs to stay and serve the believers. He says, I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul's convinced of this. It's necessary for him to stay so that he might be able to serve Christ's church. And then he tells us, I know. I know that I'll remain and continue with you all. He tells us something now that he knows. You see, he knew that the Philippian believers still needed him. The Philippian believers still needed him. Not in some egotistical manner. It's not because Paul had a big head. He thought he was some hot shot. Oh, you need me. But Paul knew that there was still more ministry to be done with them. 
He knew that the church at Philippi still had problems. There were still issues going on. He's going to tell us over in Philippians chapter 4 that there are two women, Yodia and Syntyche, who need to live in harmony in the Lord. He knows that there's disunity in the church. He says there's more work that needs to be done, more ministry that needs to be done for you in Philippi, for the church of Christ. Now, how was Paul convinced of this? Notice he says that he's convinced of it. How is Paul convinced of this? Back up in verse 20, it seems that he doesn't know whether he's going to live or whether he's going to die. I don't know what's going to happen. Am I going to live? I don't know. Am I going to die? I don't know. But all I know is whether I live or I die, I just want Christ to be exalted in my body. But now he's convinced that he's going to stay. Did he, in five verses here, get some kind of direct revelation from God? How is all of a sudden Paul convinced that he's going to stay and do ministry and serve the church? Did he get some kind of direct revelation from God? No, he didn't. I believe this here is Paul's personal conviction. Not some kind of direct revelation from God, but a personal conviction. He was personally convinced that the church still needed his teaching and leadership. There was still more problems in the church that needed to be worked out, and they needed Paul's help. He knows the position that he has. He knows his calling as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he says, and I have been put on this earth to serve the church. And so he says, I'm convinced there's still more work to be done. And if God allows him to stay alive and not take him to heaven, then God is going to allow him to remain and continue with them. Why? Notice what he says at the end of verse 25. He says, for your progress and joy in the faith. He'll remain and continue. Notice he doesn't say for myself. Not to fulfill my own desires. Not because I always wanted to do X, Y, Z. But he says, for your progress and joy in the faith. He gives us two reasons here. He'll stay alive and continue with them so that there will be progress or growth in their understanding and knowledge of God's truth that Paul has taught them. That's his desire for them. And... The result then of that progress is that they would increase their joy in the faith. That they would grow in the faith and increase in their joy in the faith. You see, listen church, growth and joy go hand in hand. Growth and joy go hand in hand. The more that you grow, the greater your joy will increase. A lot of Christians today lack joy because there's no growth in their life. They're not growing in their knowledge of Christ. They're not growing in their relationship with Christ. And so they lack joy. Steve Lawson says, there is no joy unless you progress in your Christian life. 
None. You won't have joy unless you progress in your Christian life, unless you grow. Now notice, Paul says there, joy in the faith. What does Paul mean here by the faith? He's simply here referring to the Christian faith. Not their personal or experiential faith. That's not what he's talking about here. As if it's their own faith in Christ. But he's talking about their understanding of the faith. He's talking about, listen church, Christian doctrine. Truth. Their knowledge and their understanding of the truth. The truth which was once for all handed down to the saints, as Jude 3 tells us. The faith. The Christian faith. Have you ever experienced that in your life? I hope you have, and I hope you continue to experience that. You read your Bible, and all of a sudden, you've read this passage 20 times. And all of a sudden, there's a a great truth that just pops out at you. And you go, whoa, I've never seen that before. Why haven't I seen that? But I love it. Look at that great promise that God gives us in this verse. And how does your heart respond? With joy. Exceeding joy. God, look at what you have revealed to me. You grow and you rejoice. And Paul knows that. That as he continues to serve the church, they're going to progress in the faith and therefore their joy is going to increase. That's what Paul wants to do as he ministers to them. And look, this living for Christ and serving the church, this was not plan B for Paul. It wasn't plan B. It wasn't as if plan A was to go and be with Christ and and plan B was to stay here and, and to serve the church. No, both of them were plan A for him. They were both plan A. Dying and being with Christ or staying and serving Christ All Paul wanted to do was the will of Christ in his life. Both were plan A. Whatever it was, Christ, I just want to do whatever it is you want me to do. And seeing the Philippians grow in their faith and find greater joy in the faith brought Paul great joy as well. Seeing the church growing in their understanding and knowledge of Christ and who he is, it brought him great joy. And listen, church, I can tell you the same is true for me. As a pastor, I find great joy in seeing you growing in your faith in Christ. It's joyous. It's joyous because we're growing in Christ. We're growing closer to Him. And it brought Paul great joy as well. His heart was to serve the church if God were to keep him alive on this earth. And what would be the goal then if God chooses to keep Paul alive and minister to the church? Look at what he says in verse 26. He says, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Now, this here looks 
as if Paul is wanting the believers to boast in him. Look at, notice what he says there. It seems at reading this at first that Paul wants them to be confident in him and all the work that he's doing. Notice what he says. So that your proud confidence in me may abound. But this is not what Paul has in mind at all. It's not what he has in mind. You see, Paul wants them to have proud confidence. He wants them to boast. That's another way you could say that. To boast. But not in Paul. He says, don't, po- don't boast in me. He wants them to boast in Christ as Christ used Paul to serve them. You see, Paul never wanted anyone ever to boast in man. Never. In fact, he tells us in 1 Corinthians 3.21, he says, so then let no one boast in men. No one ever. Don't boast in men. He's not saying, I want you to boast in me. Because he tells us, don't boast in men. You need to boast in Christ. So what does Paul mean when he says, so that your proud confidence in me may abound? Well, if you were to read this sentence in the Greek, the words in me come after the words in Christ Jesus. And So here's how the Legacy Standard Bible translates this verse. So that your reason for boasting may abound in Christ Jesus in me through my coming to you again. Here's how one commentator describes this verse, which I believe helps us understand what Paul is getting at. He says, the ground of glorying is first and comprehensively in Christ. Then... In Paul as representing Christ. Then in Paul's personal presence again with them. You see what he's saying there? Saying first and foremost, I want you to boast in Christ. Then you're going to boast in Christ because Christ has brought Paul to them. And as Paul ministers to them, they're going to continue to boast in who? In Christ. Paul wanted them to abound in boasting in Christ and what Christ was doing through the life of Paul. He never wanted them to boast or have proud confidence in him. As he faithfully served them to strengthen them. As their joy in the faith grew more and more through the ministry of Paul, Paul didn't want them to glory in Him, but he wanted them to glory in Christ. Because as we said earlier, it was Christ who was doing the work through Paul, right? That's who's doing the work. Now, I want to point something out here in these verses. I want you to notice the pronouns in these verses. Paul's not making up pronouns. But notice the pronouns that he uses. In verse 21, he says, for to me. Then in verse 22, he says, but if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. Verse 23, but I am hard-pressed. 
But then there's a change in verse 24. Notice what he says there. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Verse 25, I will remain with you all for your progress. Verse 26, so that your proud confidence through my coming to you again. In verses 21 through 23, he's talking about his own personal desires. But then, in verses 24 through 26, he begins talking all about them. And how his staying on earth can benefit them. It's about you. It's about others. You remember the acronym for joy, Jesus, others, yourself. You want to have joy in life? Jesus must be first. Others must be second. And you must be last. That was Paul's heart. He says, okay, I'm done talking about my desires. I want to serve you, you, you. Christ is number one in my life. And you're second. Others. And he finds great joy in that. You see, so often we, be, we can begin to look upon ourselves and our own circumstances and get our eyes focused on us. When Christ wants our eyes focused upon Him and upon His work, He wants us to be others-focused. Paul knew that he was saved not so he could live a happy life, not so that he could live his best life now, not so that he could have some nice home, live a comfortable life, have a, a lot of money. He was saved so that he could work for Christ. So that he could serve Christ by serving Christ's people. He was devoted to Christ and he showed that by his devotion to Christ's people. He wanted to do all of that to build up Christ's church. To serve so that he could build up Christ's church. And even in the midst of his difficult circumstances in his life, being in prison, not knowing whether he was going to live or whether he was going to die, his joy was found in knowing Christ and serving Christ's people. Friends, where do you find your joy? Where do you find your joy? Are you searching for joy in earthly things? Your job, your hobbies, your possessions, your comforts? Are you focused on the things of this world? Or are you focused on things above? Is your mind constantly fixed on this world? Or are you fixing your mind on things above? You see, many Christians miss out on lasting joy in their life 
because they're focused on the wrong things. But I want to help you find lasting joy in your life this morning by asking you two questions. We're going to finish with this. Two questions. I believe that if someone approached the Apostle Paul and asked him, how can I find lasting joy in my life? I believe he would answer them with these two questions. Question number one. Is Christ your life? Is Christ your life? Paul was able to have joy in whatever circumstances he was put in because Christ was his life. Christ was all that mattered. Christ was everything to him. For to me, to live, Christ. That was Paul's heart. That was Paul's life. Let me ask you, how would you fill in this answer? For to me, to live is... How would you answer that? What would you fill in there? Would it be your career? Your family? Your social status? Your stuff? Yourself? If I answer for to me to live as ace, I will never have joy. Never. Yet that is what so many people are being told today. You just do you. You make sure that you take care of number one. Those are all lies of the enemy. Lies of the enemy. Because the enemy wants us to take our eyes off of Jesus and to put our eyes onto self. He wants us to fix our eyes on anything other than Jesus. And if there is anything you fill in there besides Christ, you will not have lasting joy. Because joy is only found in Christ. Nothing else will satisfy you. Nothing Some of you are here this morning and you cannot answer Christ because you don't know Christ. Because you have not been saved by Him. I'm here to tell you that your sin has separated you from Christ. The Scripture tells us that. The wages of sin is death. But there's good news. Because that verse continues on. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And what God commands of you to do is to repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ who came and lived a joyous and perfect life. A life that none of us could live. And then after he lived that life, he went to a cross Willingly, because it was the Father's will for him to go and to be the sacrifice for our sins. And he died on a cross as our sacrifice. And he was buried. And he rose again on the third day. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he calls you to come to him today.
Turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone and you can have that everlasting joy. Make Christ your life. Let me give you a second question. Question number two. Are you serving the church? Are you serving the church? Do you seek to build others up? To use your spiritual gift to glorify Christ by building others up? Are you living your Christian life to serve others? Are you an others-focused person? God has placed you in the church to be a member of the body. Some are an eye, some are an ear, some are an arm, some are a leg. All are important. Every one of us in the body of Christ is important. And we're to be used to build up the church. We're to be used to build up others. We're to be used by God for faithful labor as Christ does His work in and through us. Church, we're called to be faithful servants of Christ, to be others focused. To be focused on Christ first and foremost, number one, and second, to be others focused. And if you live your life in that way, you will find lasting joy. When we live for Christ and we serve others for Christ, it will bring us the greatest joy in our life. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul who said, for to me to live Christ his life was devoted to Christ. His life was centered upon Christ. Lord, may we imitate that faith, that life that he lived in complete devotion to you. And Lord, we see his heart for others. He was not a self-focused man, but he was always looking out outward to others, outward to preach the gospel, outward to serve the church. And Lord, we know that that is what brought him tremendous joy. Father, may we live our lives as he lived his life in complete devotion to Christ, and in serving others, that we might find lasting joy in this life. And Father, may we never seek for anyone to boast in us, but may we always boast in Christ, who is our Lord, our Savior, our Master, our Friend. May it be all for Him, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.